Welcome to the Queen Trail Podcast. Meditation doesn't have to be sitting still and having an empty mind. The journey is such a beautiful thing because we are all on a journey. You want to make sure you have some kind of distribution plan, at least have an idea of it, because you can make this really amazing film and it only gets seen by your family and friends. Old Hollywood is still intact. Every horse runs hard, but when they win, and they know it. They've got this little sass about them. It was pretty rough. I had to go into the water and with my med pack, swim to the beach, treat these guys, put them on my back, swim out to the helo. And I'm like, oh my God, I've never seen those before. And I said, what are those? And before I could even finish the sentence, she said, oh my God, you didn't touch them, did you? Even if monarchs go away and we never see one again, because there never will be monarchs again if they die out, it is just a little indicator of larger threats my dad said, so what were you guys doing in the desert? And I said, we were taking nude photos. Hey everybody, welcome back. I'm super excited to bring some bluegrass inspiration to this week's episode with my good friend Donna Hargis, who is the regional director of the California Bluegrass Association for Orange County and Long Beach. She is a multi-talented creative. She's a bluegrass enthusiast, a teacher, an artist, a writer, a flat picker, a tenor singer. I mean, her talent is endless. In this first of a two-part talk, we will cover what bluegrass is and what it isn't. Also, how to learn and what it takes to become good at the things that you like to do. But before we get into it, I wanted to bring my weekly update on my diet. So one of the things that a good diet does is, in my opinion, it allows you to participate in life without it resulting in an all-out catastrophe of either guilt or weight gain. So your eating plan should be something that you've decided to embark on or tweak or, you know, any changes that you make, you should really study them. Get a little bit read up on what the goal is. Is this just a weight loss diet? So is it going to be like super restrictive and you're basically going to have to hide for a few months until you reach your goal? Or, you know, maybe it's just a couple of weeks. Maybe it's a lot longer than that. Or is this something that is going to last and could potentially become a lifetime change for you? Can it be a habit? Also, listen to how your body responds to it. You know, like, do your taste buds actually like what you're eating? Does your stomach process it well? What's your energy level like? You know, like, I've been there before. (laughs) You're so hungry. And then you get past that point where you're feeling hunger, and you're just kind of a zombie walking through life. And to me, that is not a sign of a good diet. In fact, we're here to enjoy life. I know I say that all the time. But I guess what I mean to say is there is so much stress in life already that if we can help it, we should avoid self-imposed stress. And some diets just kind of bring that on. You know, life is hard. And in my opinion, I don't think that a diet should add to that burden. I mean, they're all going to be challenging in the beginning. Any changes that you make will be challenging, but they shouldn't suck your energy away or become the predominant thing that you are thinking about day in and day out. 
Um, then, and this really kind of speaks to that, there's what I call the intrusive quotient of a diet. And it's like, is it flexible enough to work in real life? Can you have a cheat day here and there? Can you find things to eat at most restaurants that you go to? Or are you going to have to bring your own food to gatherings? Is it going to affect your ability to participate in events? Is it going to affect other people? So you kind of have to look at those sorts of things. You know, you have to choose your priorities. Maybe that's what you want. And that's totally okay. But is one day going to mess everything up for you? And that is part of that intrusiveness quotient and also listening to your body, right? Mentally, how is this diet affecting you? Ideally, it should be something that is basically kind of seamless, kind of like just running in the background of the rest of your life. We have to eat. It's essential to living, but it shouldn't be the dominant thought in our minds. And I think part of it is in this episode, you're going to hear me talking about living in a society that is plentiful. There is food everywhere and there's so many choices and and everybody's trying to sell you what they're making. So whether it is a fast food burger or a super healthy bar. So (laughs) you have to decide what's going to work for you, what you're going to eat. And it can be really, really overwhelming in a society like ours. And it's, it's a good problem to have. It's just that being educated on what it is that you're eating, understanding what your goals are, and everything else that I just talked about can be helpful in helping you make decisions. So over a week ago, I had a cheat meal, which I talked about in the last episode. And the following day, I I can't remember now, but it was either two ounces or six ounces that I lost. It didn't affect my diet. And that was awesome. On Friday, I had another cheat meal. Sophie and I had decided to go check out the Beastie Boys exhibit at a gallery in Los Angeles. It's called Beyond the Streets, and it's a pretty comprehensive exhibit. It is a small exhibit, but it's worth checking out if you are a lifelong Beastie Boys fan like I am. You know, it's funny because I was going to see this exhibit, I would mention it and people would say, oh, I only know one of their songs. And then I would say, well, what about this one? And they'd say, oh, that one too. And then I'd say, what about this one? Oh, yeah, I know that one too. And the Beastie Boys came out and their music really comprises a large part of the soundtrack of our lives. And of course, it goes on to the next generation, right? We love the Beastie Boys. We continue to listen to them. And then our kids are like, oh, this is cool. And they're one of those bands, in my opinion, that have stood the test of time. Their music is still fresh, regardless of when you listen to it. Most of it. And there's certain songs where they're a little dated. But a lot of their music is just great party music. It's great driving music. But it was put together with the cooperation of the band members and their management. So there's a lot of good stuff in there. I would recommend it. And once we were done, we had already pinpointed dessert. So that became my cheat meal for the week. And if you want to see everything that I ate in Koreatown, just head over to the socials. I posted some pictures. It was delicious. If fiery hot. Oh my God. That was like level one spice and I was breathing fire. (laughs) 
time that somebody asks me what spice level, it's like one of the scariest questions. One is usually fire hot. Anyway, I cannot imagine what three is. <laughs> so the ice cream was perfect afterwards. And the following day when I weighed myself, I was still at the same weight. I hadn't gained or lost a pound, but to me, that's the diet that works. So in the last three weeks, I've lost a total of 10 pounds. I was expecting the weight loss to slow because if you'll remember the first week, I lost 4.8 pounds, which is crazy. The second week, it slowed down a little bit. And then last week, it slowed down even more. So I think I, I lost like a pound and a half or something last week, which is within the healthy and reasonable level. I'm going to be kicking up the fitness and I'm kicking it into high gear this coming week. So I'm super excited to see what the results are going to be over the next couple of weeks, whether it's on the scale or in my wardrobe. In the meantime, I do have Christmas coming up. And if you celebrate, you've got Christmas coming up. I do plan to have another cheat meal on Christmas Eve. That's when we celebrate Christmas Eve. So I love mashed potatoes and gravy. I don't want to get through my meal without that. So it's going to be another cheat meal for me. But I'm not bringing home mashed potatoes and gravy as leftovers for the next day. I'm not going to bring home any desserts. <laughs> but I will bring, you know, if there's protein leftover, I'll bring that to put on top of my salad the following day. So I'm really enjoying how flexible this diet is. So anyway, enough of that. Please now grab a cuppa and join Donna Hargis and me in this week's In the Company of Friends talk on bluegrass music. Enjoy. You're such a creative person and science oriented. You teach science. You're an artist. You're a musician. You're a writer, a photographer, a nature lover. <laughs> wow, I, I sound really busy. <laughs> I don't know that you're really busy. I think you kind of have this ease with which you move through life, but it's just you bring in the elements that really capture your attention and interest you in a really kind of zenny way, I guess, for lack of a different word. Um, Thank you. I was thinking yeah. that, yeah, you, you named off a lot of things and probably should sound stressful or overwhelming, but it doesn't. I'm just moving through life, doing what I love and uh, saying no to lots of things. I think that's probably something I've learned to really have just have to pick and choose. I can't do everything all the time, you know? Now it's such a powerful word. We all want to say yes to everything and that can get really overwhelming. I know my calendar gets packed with things sometimes. It's all fun things. It's all things I want to do. It's all things that are going to bring a lot of value into my life and elevate my spirits once I'm there. But when I'm looking at that calendar, it is really stressful. And I realize I haven't been saying no enough. Right, right. Well, too, and you know, I think coming out of COVID, we went from one extreme to the other. And when um, quarantine first started loosening up, it's like, there wasn't a lot going on and I was saying yes to everything. But a year later, it's like there's, you know, too many choices <laughs> to pick what right. I can actually do, which is a lovely quality problem considering where we came from, you know. so It really is. It really is. Yeah. You know, there's so much dynamics that go into it. You start getting used to saying yes and that feeling of being so isolated and not having 
that kind of connection in your life is lasting. So you end up saying yes to a lot of things. Even if you're not consciously thinking about it, I think that there is a, a sense of going from dearth to plenty. And it's like, yes. okay, where, where do I say no? And where we live too, I mean, drive is such a consideration, you know, LA can yes. be so close, but so far, it depends what time you want me to be there, you know? Exactly. <laughs> work out. So there's a lot of like driving logistics to factor in when I'm saying yes to doing in-person activities, at least, you know, outside of school. So. Right. Yeah. There's a lot to consider. So right now, I know that you're working a lot with your bluegrass interest. And so tell me about bluegrass specifically for people who don't know about it. Oh, okay, sure. Bluegrass is a type of music that's acoustic and it's very grassroots, meaning sure there's the stars, but it's a type of folk music and folk means for the people. So it's for the people to create. And um, what I love about it, well, I love the sound of it. Um, if someone doesn't know if they, if they like bluegrass, they should listen <laughs> and find mm -hmm. out. And so I find that some people tolerate it. Some people fall in love with it like I did. And then some people can't stand it. And it kind of comes down to a couple of things. The banjo, it's, it evokes a very strong response from people. Some mm -hmm. love it and some hate it. Um, and then the style of singing, it's, it's not meant to be like pop singing. If that's your kind of thing, you probably wouldn't like bluegrass because it's meant to be saying in a different way, you know, and so I don't think it appeals to everyone, but it does. It definitely appeals to me. It's and a really fun important. traditional music. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm pretty much obsessed with it. So I tend to do deep dives on things that I fall in love with. And this has been like one of the greatest loves of my life, not only for the music, but for the community that it provides because... You know, I came into music late in life, and it was kind of accidental. Um, I just picked up a guitar that we had sitting around the house, and I was going to try to tune it up for my son. And I went on to YouTube and um, said, how do you tune a guitar? And immediately I started getting, you know, the algorithm started feeding me, if you can play three chords, you can play these 10 songs. <laughs> and I was like, what? I can play a song? I know. And playing a song shortly after that, Still didn't have any plan, but I went to a meetup to listen to bluegrass because I, I liked bluegrass. And so I'm always looking for fun things to do and live music to go see. And I saw that they had a bluegrass jam at the park. And I thought, oh, I'm going to go check this out. And I, I just pictured these total pros just killing it and me just sitting in the background watching. But when I got there, it was a bunch of people sitting in a circle with they had like books out and it was everything from teenagers to seniors and very simple songs, and they were very much asking me to come in and join. I didn't even have a guitar with me. They're mm. all, come back next week and bring a guitar. And so I did. And uh, I went home, and, you know, they had a little book called the Bluegrass Faith Book. I bought it, and I started going through it and trying to learn. And that, I've been really, really lucky because um, I don't think there's a lot of genres of music where they're so accessible for you to get into so easily. So as an adult, you know, being a beginner and having this free place to go every Saturday where I would just, you know, at first just play basic songs and practice going through the chords. And it was the first time I ever sang in front of anyone. And 
like since then it's like become rapid growth and just total obsession for me and learning more and more and going to more jams better jams invite only jam i even get invited to some of the you know more elite ones which is flattering and awesome and uh and i also found aside from the playing the music learning the music singing which is a pure joy for me um i also got really involved in the association the california bluegrass association and i i can't even say i i guess it would be weird to say i enjoy it it's different than music it's just something that comes natural to me is networking and so basically i just do a lot of networking because it's a pretty small genre people think that bluegrass is um a lot more popular than it actually is so mm-hmm. um and a lot of people don't know about it and just trying to promote it and let people know and get people involved and create events and activities there's actually a much bigger bluegrass scene in northern california which is why i joined the cba um to try to bring more of it to southern california so i have a couple of questions i guess i'll start off with what you just said why is there more bluegrass do you think in northern california we we have bluegrass down here too we have a southwest bluegrass association which is mm-hmm. big and goes from here to arizona there's a couple of associations down in san diego i think the scene um in la in the 70s was hopping and in the 80s too some great bands came out of here and played around here there used to be a place called the banjo cafe in santa monica that was I mean, we don't have anything like that anymore. It all kind of just dissipated. But what they have in Northern California that we don't have is a very strong youth program. And they've had a festival going on since the 70s, the Father's Day Festival, which is like the quintessential bluegrass festival. If you ever if you could only go to one, you should go to Grass Valley for <laughs> Father's Day weekend because it's it does have the pine trees and the grass and the hippies and the old people in their RVs and the everything in between and a kids program a kids camp and so kids go here and they learn to play instruments and they become friends and they see each other and there's not a lot of events there's a couple campouts and now we have a thing down here in southern california which we might talk about but the the kids form these lifelong friendships you know and they um stay in contact and what songs are you working on and that kind of thing. So, you know, we have little spots of kid things here but not the youth program of Northern California. Well, a couple of really amazing people have come out of that that are doing super well. Molly Tuttle just got she's from she has a song on her album called Grass Valley because that's where she grew up learning bluegrass and she's nominated for a grammy and she's in northern california and uh, aj lee and blue summit is another one um so these little kids that are just shredding on their instruments are now you know they become young adults and they just carry on the tradition so we don't have as much of that here that's one issue but what they have in place has been there for decades and it's amazing so mhm that's incredible i'll have to check it out um Why does the banjo evoke such a strong reaction from people? Why is it so divisive? Um, I think it's been portrayed in the media as, you know, back hills. I mean, there's Deliverance. Now, think about this, my students, they don't know about the movie Deliverance, but that um stereotype has kind of been perpetuated through the years both in you know the hillbillies the blacked out teeth the sitting on a bale of a hay and and that's not even what bluegrass is like 
the bluegrass guys that came out of the Appalachians, when they played, they wore suits, suits and ties and hats. <laughs> but mm -hmm. people think it's overalls and a little straw sticking out of your mouth and a black tooth, you know. So there was even, I just watched a show recently. Gosh, it was like some famous talk show from the 70s. And Liza Minnelli was the host. And she was interviewing the Dillards who are a great bluegrass band out of LA. And they just totally did the stereotype that these guys were a bunch of hicks. Yeah. So that's old. I don't know what's up with the kids now. Other than that, it's a very distinct sound. I consider it a happy sound. And maybe some people consider it annoying. I don't know. I can't mm. relate. So I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that deliverance perception has kind of lasted through the decades, unfortunately. Um, oh, yeah. And then, and then some just kind of stereotypes towards the whole region. You know, when you say Kentucky or West Virginia and Cal, and we definitely need to get, you know, past that. And I mean, California bluegrass has a distinct sound. They know that we have a big bluegrass scene out here. It's a little bit different. It's a little bit more, it has a distinct sound is what I'll say you know, compared to Kentucky. LA has always had a burgeoning rock and roll scene. Do you think some of that ends up in, in Southern California bluegrass? Well, sh I mean, sure. There's always the taking bluegrass and turning it into Americana. If you stray too far from, you know, what we would call bluegrass, then they're not going to call you bluegrass. And if that means if, you know, you start adding drums and other instruments that aren't typically bluegrass, then the bluegrass community won't call it bluegrass. That's just, I mean, by definition, it has to have the five acoustic instruments. So that's, that's one thing, but California, we just, you know, I think there's more of a free spirit attitude. Did bluegrass come out of evangelical roots as well? Do you think that's part of the difference? Oh yeah. I mean, that's a part of it. The guys were singing I mean, you know where blue, bluegrass came from, right? It's not as old of a genre as people think. Um, it really came out of the 40s. And what happened was um, they used to just call it old time music. People in the Appalachian region were playing these instruments that were easy to carry and came from um, mostly Northern Europe, except for the banjo, which has African roots. So they were playing this old time music and including a lot of gospel and a lot of traditional folk songs and fiddle tunes. And Bill Monroe in the 40s started a band called um, Bill Monroe and his Bluegrass Boys. And because he's from Kentucky and they call Kentucky the Bluegrass State. And so that's where the name came from, was from Bill Monroe's band. And so he's actually considered the father of bluegrass and kind of described what it needed to be to be called bluegrass. And it was these instruments, this kind of a sound, and this style of singing, which he called the high lonesome sound. And so he, he put that in place and he played with Flat and Scruggs and, you know, all the early guys and it was just an avalanche of it. And, and even back then they had resistance because rock and roll was becoming popular and it was selling like crazy. So it's always been, you know, a, a small group of people that stuck with um, enjoying this. Yeah, the Andy Griffith show had a lot to do with it. They actually featured the Dillards. They went by a different name. I can't, the Darlings, I think, when they played on the Andy Griffith show a couple of times. And then there was Hee Haw, and, which again, it fed into that Hollywood stereotype, unfortunately. <laughs> but it was supposed to be a comedy and people liked it. So I kind of have mixed feelings about that show because of that reason, you know, it perpetuated the hillbilly 
um, which hillbilly is not a derogatory oh. term. It's a lot of the bluegrass people still use it, but you know, more of the, just the ignorant part was also portrayed on Hee Haw for sure. I remember watching that as a kid. I loved it. <laughs> but, <laughs> I actually yeah, didn't. You know. I didn't like that as a kid. I think I really, um, maybe it was getting into my subconscious, but, but I remember hearing when I was quite, you know, like in my early twenties, hearing the Pogues. And they were playing punk rock with a banjo. And I was like, whoa, it was just so fun to hear a mm-hmm. different instrument, you know, or kind of punk rockish, you know, their Irish influences. And yeah, I, I was really attracted to the Pogues. I still am. I love the Pogues. They're great. Yeah. Banjos, I, you know, I like them. I don't have a particular sense of dislike for very many instruments if they're played right. I always like to have that interest, that instruments outside of just your typical guitar and yeah, drums yeah. and bass bring in because it's it's interesting to listen to. It, you know, kind of perks you up and makes you pay attention and um, oh, I totally agree. That's that's a word I would use when the banjo plays. I get like you know, kind of sit up a little straighter and go, where, where is that coming from? <laughs> <laughs> so you started out playing the guitar mm-hmm. and you didn't know how to play at all. Right. How long did it take you? I mean, what do you think that you just have an affinity for it or? Well, when I was 19, I did take a guitar class, but I didn't stick with it at all. So I didn't, when I went to go tune up that guitar, I was also going to see if I could remember three chords to play that song Gloria for my son just to get him started. So I really was a ranked <laughs> beginner and, and that was um, just 2015 actually. But um, I think that I did have a suppressed musician in me that just wanted to get out because I've really been, st- it's like writing. Like I didn't write for a long time, but I read voraciously. And then I started writing and I realized, well, I've been preparing for this my whole life. I've been like a really active listener of music, really paying attention to the different instruments and what they're doing and things like that. Um, I also, I guess I just have a pretty obsessive nature. And uh, for me, it feels normal, but um, I practice for every day for a pretty long time. It's a little bit embarrassing. (laughs) Mm. (laughs) I don't have much else of a life. And I try to study smartly. Very early, I went to this guitar workshop and this well-known bluegrass guitar player was leading this workshop. His name is Dan Crary. And most people take out a guitar and show you something. He didn't do that at all. He just taught. He was a teacher on the side. Um, he taught about how to study. And that happened pretty early on. And I'd have to say it was very influential because he says a lot of people think they're practicing, but they're just sitting on their couch noodling and having fun. It's, it, it's a real discipline. And he said, you need to, before you start, say, 20 minutes from now, I want to be better at and then insert specific skill. It could be as basic as going from G to F fluently, but that's what you're going to work on. And then divide some of your practice into, you know, learning new songs and some of your practice into practicing what you already know. So I really took it to heart. You know, I know a lot of people say, oh, I play guitar for hours a day, or, but I'm trying to learn stuff. <laughs> that is such great advice. 20 minutes from now, I want to be better at and insert, and insert skill. And it, that could apply to anything, a sport or whatever. It's focused practice is what he's called it. That is so important. Over COVID or maybe right before, I realized I was scrolling a lot. I would get on 
my phone and start scrolling because there is an addictive quality about it. And it's, you know, really interesting how all of these social media organizations do have a lot of scientists that are working on how to keep users on these sites. And I'd be making dinner and I knew that I had to saute something for five minutes. So what do you do for five minutes? You know, there's so many things that you could do, but the easiest thing is to go, oh, let me see what people are doing, what's been posted, what the news is. Finally, I thought the amount of time that I am gifting to scrolling, if I were to take that time and apply it to something else, I bet you I could be really good at something. And I happen to have this cheap little ukulele sitting around. Every single time, instead of scrolling, I would go over and I'd strum it. And I had YouTube videos, like you said, Mm -hmm. and I learned how to play over the rainbow. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I totally related to what you're saying about the scrolling. And it's I could talk about the kids, but I could talk about myself too. It's just become um, such a thing we reach for. And so trying to ask myself why I'm reaching for it, whether it be the phone or the sugar for that, mm-hmm. that's kind of my two addictions right now. <laughs> why are yeah. you reaching for that? And what can you do instead? And um, I think, especially when I mean, you talked about during the pandemic, this desire for connection. It's like my son and I've been talking about this a lot because he's a senior in high school and he is going through a, a phase where he's starting to realize how bad and addictive social media is. And he said, yeah, even before the teacher starts talking, everyone has their phones out because I guess in high school they let them, which mm-hmm. I find horrific. So instead of having conversations, they're looking at their phones. So getting an instrument in your hand, an acoustic instrument, I mean, these relationships I was talking about, it's that need for connection. Because in bluegrass, there, there's no rock star. There's no, um, we've had people show up to a jam who thought they were great guitar players. And they say, who plays lead? And we're like, we all do, or no one does, you know, we <laughs> right. take turns, you know, we go and you know, everyone plays the melody and then everyone takes, there's no rock stars here. It's, it's coming together with people, some that you might know, some that you've never seen before. And you can get together in a circle and play songs and make, create something beautiful together. And, and that communication, that back and forth, that presence is really there. And so I think it's, that's why I think it's such a healthy thing. It's not just that I love the music and I don't want it to go away. That's a big part of it. But I think that um, our society needs more of this. I think it teaches some social skills that kids are really missing out on these days. What other chance is there to work on a, a group project? I guess in school we do group projects, but you know what I'm saying, a little a concerted effort with other people. This creates community. It's almost like... It's introducing a new language. I've always thought of music as a different language. There's sound, tone, flow, and, you know, I'm not a musician, so I don't know what all of the correct terms are, but there's the tempo and, and the speed and um, and the high notes and the low notes. And so you understand it and you connect to it emotionally. Music evokes so many memories every time that you hear it. And at the same time, it's producing new memories every time that you hear it. So to me, it's just another form of communication. It's another language. 
Yes, and it's really important in a society. I, I, I agree with you that. And then the memory thing too, it's really rewarding to play in a memory care facility and see for yourself that like somebody that's completely nonverbal, hears a familiar tune and their face lights up. And, you know, and I would mm -hmm. visit my mom in one of those and play some songs. Um, there was a woman there who would never talk, but I played, will the circle be unbroken? And she started singing along and clapping and I can barely get through the song. Wow. Like, I was going to cry, you know, but I've yeah. since learned about, you know, about perhaps that memory is stored elsewhere in the brain and just like smells, you know, and sounds can really trigger something in people. And it's really rewarding. Even tastes, that's why we get addicted to certain foods. Sweets, they're always a reward or they're, you know, what you give your child at the end of the school day. You know, here's a little treat for you. And you think of these loving moments. It's like getting an internal hug when you eat certain foods. And so you have to be really connected to that when, you know, like when you said earlier, why am I reaching for this sugar? I do that with recipes that my grandmother used to make when I was a kid. Sometimes I just think I really need to make that recipe. And it's because somewhere in my mind, I want to get back to that feeling I had when she would give it to me. It's so funny. I told my son, is it okay if we don't make fudge this year? Because, you know, it's so unhealthy. And, and then I started thinking <laughs> about it and thought it would be my first Christmas ever without fudge. And would it feel like oh, Christmas no. if I didn't have fudge? <laughs> right? I think I need to make some and like immediately give it all away except for like three pieces just so I can feel festive. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. And then traditions like that, you know, and fudge, yeah. probably every time that you eat a piece of fudge is very representative of Christmas for you. It is. You know, I haven't made fudge in a really long time. I'm actually on a diet right now. And I hate calling it diet. I'm a former fitness nutrition coach. So diet just is really anything that you eat, you know, any pattern of eating is a diet. So it could be healthy, it could be unhealthy. Yeah. And because of my knee, I gained a lot of weight this last year. And I'm just finally being able to move and do something about it. And so there's no sugar in it none whatsoever. And I actually don't miss it, which mm -hmm. is really interesting to me. And I think maybe it's kind of that obsession that you were talking about. I can get obsessive about things too. And um, right now I'm, I'm in a good place with this diet. Yay. That's great. Yeah. It's a tough topic for a lot of people, you know, yeah, probably everybody <laughs> in some way, but some more than others, you know, because it um, is, yeah. you know, we live in such food abundant society. And, and just like the, the screen, the scrolling, it's such an easy go-to. I mean, and, and if you've ever, like, luckily, I really enjoy my job. But I think of, like, times where I had, like, a stressful office job and just would look forward to lunch because it was something in the day to look forward to. And, like, now mm -hmm. I barely eat lunch, you know, because I'm, like, busy and, and loving right. what I do. But when, when you're not happy, it becomes a real easy, cheap fix, you know? It is. It's kind of a personal therapy. And you have to figure out ways to, to change that. And yeah, that's hard. Addressing the underlying issue is like, for, like, again, I said for myself, why are you reaching for that? You know, and sometimes it's just because the day's good, and it's in front of me, and it's not the end of the world. But that compulsive, like during the pandemic, and just being bored and in the house all the time, and constantly yeah. walking into the kitchen going, hmm, hmm, what's in here? What's, you know, that yeah. Oh, 
I gained, the, I definitely gained the, the COVID weight for sure, but it, it, had been, it had been a slow creep up until that point. And then afterwards, I just had a mental shift. I saw the scale at a place I'd never seen it before. And I said, mm-hmm. okay, it's time to make some changes. So again, it's just, I try to change my thinking about eating more than my eating. <laughs> right. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of things that you could do to change that and make it a more healthful part of your life, because it's an essential part of your life. It's never going to go away. So you have to figure out how to make friends with it. Yes. (laughs) Certain age, I could always exercise it away. But that gradually changed, you know, with hormones and being a female where it's like, there's no amount of exercise. I, you know, there just aren't enough hours in it. It's just that doesn't work anymore. So I had to really address the the eating compulsion. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Metabolism slows down so much. Yeah. And that's it. The natural metabolic changes in your body right. <laughs> start working against yeah. you as you get older. Yep. And it's supposed, you know, it's supposed to be that way. I think we need to eat less. I wonder if we need to sleep a little less too, because I'm always thinking, God, I'm not getting enough sleep, but I seem to carry on. So... <laughs> Yeah. How many hours are you getting? Yeah, probably seven on average, but there's some nights where I like have insomnia and I think, oh, I'm not even going to be able to function today. And then I kind of do, you know, the the main thing is sometimes I wake up way earlier than I need to. That even happened today, but I was able to fall back asleep for a little while. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Sometimes when I fall back to sleep, I just am more tired when I get back. I have crazy dreams when that happens. (laughs) Oh, do you? (laughs) Yeah. I don't remember my dreams. I don't even know if I actually, I'm assuming that I dream. I'm assuming everybody does, but I'm one of those people that does not remember dreams. But if I wake up and then decide to go back to sleep for another 20 minutes or another hour, I will remember those dreams. Mm. So yeah, so they must be vivid. It must have something to do with that short amount of time. But I wanted to ask you, so you joined this meetup group and meetup is such a great platform. And then you learned how to play guitar. You got very dedicated about it. How did it go when you started singing? You sing and play at the same time. And I know that is very difficult. You know, I know when I was learning the ukulele, I felt like I was getting at a point where I really wanted to sing along with what I was playing. And the minute I opened my mouth, my hands completely forgot what they were doing. It didn't matter how much I was thinking about my hands while Mm -hmm. I was trying to say anything, it just stopped. Yeah, we got to do both at the same time. And I think um, I always did from the beginning. And bluegrass, again, at jams, it's, you know, expected that you're going to sing. And if you don't, you can get away with it. Like a couple of the instruments are harder to play, like um, banjo. And right now I'm learning how to play bass. And so I purposely sing while I'm playing the bass because I think that's, that's the way to do it. Yeah, you got to do both at the same time. I got really into singing too, because what I love about bluegrass is there's harmony singing. And I did grow up, that is something that I had training in, because I sing in choral music, seventh grade through 12th grade. And it's funny, because I never thought I was that into it. I joined the chorus class because my friends did. And it was like an easy A, and all the girls are going to be in it, and let's do it. And I took the class and, you know, enjoyed it. But I never thought I was a singer. I never sang in front of people by myself. It was always Mm -hmm. with a group. 
And so I learned the alto part, which is often the harmony part. In choir singing, the soprano is the melody. That's what our ears are trained to hear. But in bluegrass, the melody is a lower part, and then we call the higher part tenor, which is different than they call it in chorus music. And I absolutely love singing tenor. So, And I can because there's way more men at our jams than women. And so it's usually pretty easy for me to sing above them. And so what we do is they'll sing like the whole song and I'll join in on the chorus. That's the bluegrass tradition. And sometimes three-part and sometimes even four-part harmony. But I love doing that. And and if there is like a little gift or a, a natural talent, which, you know, like some people will say, no, 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 it's all just a matter of hard work. But I think that I have the ability to hear the harmony very easily and some people don't. I don't know if that's my six years of chorus or the fact that I love listening to the mamas and the papas growing up. I don't know what it is. I can find the harmony where I know a lot of people that I sing with at jams don't know how to do. And sometimes they'll even ask me to help them get started on where's the note? How do I do this? It's funny because I can't sing. I absolutely cannot sing. And i had people just go, Oh, no, come on, just sing this with me, you know, maybe a Christmas carol or something. And then they, I I just see this look on their faces. I'm like, I told you, I can't sing. Well, I guess there are, you know, I I haven't heard you sing. So I can't really argue the point. You know, I don't know if it's something that could be trained or not. I mean, there are people that go to bluegrass jams that can't sing but do anyway. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And in, and with a certain amount of panache, you can totally get away with that. But uh, they have neither sometimes. And it can be kind of a drag on the on the music, you know. I've often thought, well, I should just get a voice coach because I do like to sing, you know. And mm-hmm. Thank God my kids don't care that I can't. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I'm always singing in the car. Um, and I remember well, you know ta- singing feels uh-huh. good. Singing feels good coming out of your body. It's just something I like can't deny. And I think that everyone feels that whether you find your voice pleasing or not. It's good stress reliever and it feels good. It does. Yeah. It just lets you express what you normally can't express. And, you know, you don't have to use your indoor voice. It's fun to make your voice fluctuate the way that music forces you to fluctuate with it, you know, and Mm -hmm. I remember I got invited to do karaoke a few years ago. And I thought, Oh, my God, this is not good. And I, you know, was telling my friends, I can't sing. I said, Oh, you can sing, you can sing. It's not that big of a deal. You can sing. Like, no. And and part of it is probably my apprehension Mm -hmm. to sing that keeps me from actually being able to. And I did something like what you just said. I picked some songs that I knew I could get my voice close to. And I put them on a playlist. And every time I drove anywhere, that playlist was playing and I was singing along with it. And I remember talking to a music teacher once and she said, all you have to do is close one ear off and then you'll hear your voice inside of your head. Your voice will now sound the way that it sounds to other people. And so I had my little earplugs. I did that for like three months. I was practicing like crazy. I was recording myself at home. And by the time I got to the karaoke night, I went up to the guy and I go, do you have this song? And he goes, no. And I only had four (laughs) songs. And I'm like, 
oh my God, that's the one that I sing the best. And I go, how about this one? He goes, no, I don't have that. And I'm like, oh, I thought you guys were supposed to have all of the songs, you know, and then <laughs> he didn't have the third one. And I've got to the last one, which was probably not my best. Uh, she talks to angels mm-hmm. and he had it. He had it because it was popular enough and I sang it and I actually got everybody in the bar was, was clapping for me. You know, I don't know if that was just, thank God she's off stage. Let's just clap her off the stage. (laughs) But everybody said I sounded good and I feel like I did. Yay. And it was, it was just a practice. Um, A couple of things that you said, I think are really important because I do get asked about singing a lot and I don't consider myself a great singer by any means, but again, I've put in the practice and um, one of the tools is recording yourself and hearing because the brain is so funny, the way we fill in the blanks and what we hear in our head is how we learn the song or listen to it. So we're kind of hearing the extra things and then you play it back and you're like, wow. And that goes for my guitar playing too. Like I kind of embellish it in my head and then you record it and play it back and it's just raw and it's too, well, that didn't sound as, you know, and it was really hard (laughs) and discouraging to do that. But I do that regularly now because if you want to get better, you got to take an honest look at where you're at. And the recordings, not going to lie for the most part, even some people have self-deception with that. But I'm of the belief that everybody can sing, but not everybody can sing every song. So the other thing you Mm -hmm. did was try on certain songs. And me and my girlfriend that I used to play with a lot would always say, it was like trying on dresses. It might look good on the hanger, but that doesn't mean it looks good on us. Okay. Right. (laughs) Not every dress is for every person and not every song is for every person. So... Um, you know, I suggest to people like try on a lot. I hope this episode inspired you to listen to some new music, try your hand at an instrument, and especially to apply that learning technique that Donna talked about in your life the next time that you want to learn something. It is such a great tip. I know that I'm going to be using it. There are so many great moments in this episode, and I hope that you will join us next week when I continue my conversation with Donna. So check out the show notes for links, and please take a moment to rate this episode because your ratings really do help move this podcast closer to the top of searches so that my friends and I can reach more people. I'm looking forward to sharing more upcoming In the Company of Friends talks with you. So be sure to follow me on the socials and the dot com all at the Queen Trail Podcast. That's T H E Q U A I N T R E L E Podcast. I am Syl Annan, the Queen Trail, and until next time, I wish you a very Merry Christmas if you celebrate and happiest of holidays. I also wish you passion, grace, adventure, song, elegance, and beauty.